For God so loved, He gave. Our Heavenly Father is a giver. It's His nature, and it's His character to bless. And it's not what He does, it's who He is. Even a dishonest man can be honest for a moment, but he's still dishonest. Even a liar can tell the truth on an occasion, but he's still a liar. Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of all lies. But when he spoke about Job trying to get to him, he said, I can't get to him. You put a hedge around him. Well, he spoke the truth. So he's still a liar, but he spoke the truth. So it's possible to give. It's possible to bless as an act. But God doesn't do that. It's his nature. That's who he is. Listen to Romans 8, verse 32. He who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if we're in Christ and Christ dwells in us, the Bible says through Peter, we are partakers of his divine nature. That means every follower of Jesus has a little bit of that divine nature in you you ought to have some of God's DNA. We're generous with our time, we're generous with our talent, and we're generous with our resources. It's just like Dad. We want to be a chip off the old block, and he's generous, and he blesses. And it's not something he has to do. He can't help himself. It's who he is. So let's follow that admonition tonight as we celebrate his resurrection his triumph over death, hell, and the grave with the giving of our resources as He gave His own Son and His life. Father, would You bless every gift and every giver tonight, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. If the ushers would, go ahead and receive the offering tonight. I'm quoting from John chapter 19, and we're going to have just a brief message followed by communion with all of our family together. John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now fulfilled, so that Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it up to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, it is finished with a loud voice. And bowing His head, He gave up the Spirit. It was three o'clock. Jesus called for water. He said, I thirst. He could barely speak. A soldier fixed a sponge on a spear and held it up to His lips. It was horribly bitter, but it was enough. He strained to raise his head and look up to heaven, and then he shouted with a loud voice. Every gospel writer records loud voice. Usually in your dying moments, you whimper. He shouts with a loud voice, it is finished, and then dismissed his spirit and died. That moment was filled with so much emotion, those words hardly had time to sink in to those who were around the cross when they heard them, and to even understand what they meant. 
So John later, writing his gospel, records the last word of Jesus in the Greek, tetelestai. Tetelestai is the word, it is finished. Now, the expression, it is finished, or tetelestai, is well known to the people then. It was part of everyday language. When a servant had completed a difficult job that his master had given him to do, he would say to the master, tetelestai, I have overcome all the difficulties. I have done the job to the best of my ability. It is finished. When Jewish people went to the temple with their sacrifice, the high priest would examine what was brought. Although he didn't speak Greek, he gave the Hebrew equivalent of tetelestai, meaning your offering is accepted, it's perfect. When a merchant at the marketplace made a sale and the money was handed over, he would stamp a document, tetelestai. It meant paid in full. The price has been paid, I am satisfied. When an artist had finished a painting, or a sculpture, he would stand back and say, Tetelestai, it is finished. There's nothing more that can be done to make this piece of art any better. The painting is complete. When a young boy recited to his father a difficult passage of Scripture that he had just learned and memorized, or a girl showed her mother the bread she had baked for the family, they would say, Tetelestai. And the parents would respond, well done, my child. I'm very proud of you. So when Jesus spoke the words, it is finished, he was not saying, it's the end of me, as if there's nothing else to do but give in to his enemies and die. His last words were not a final surrender to Satan as if to say, you've won, I'm done for. All those who heard the word to tell us die, the servants, those who offered sacrifices at the temple, the children, buyers and sellers at the marketplace, the artists and painters and parents, all understood Jesus was saying that His job of redeeming the world had now been finished and completed. He had finished the task, and there was nothing that could be added to what He had done, to Telestai. The price of sin has been paid in full, and He has now canceled all of our debts. His sacrifice was a perfect one, acceptable to the Heavenly Father, who said, well done. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Tetelestai, it is finished. Everything is complete. And you have to understand what they couldn't see at the moment was that at the cross, Satan suffered an irreversible, eternal defeat. He can never undo it. It can never be undone. And it's so sad to watch people wrapped in religious legalism to this day who know there's a cross, who believe Jesus died on it, but still beat themselves, nail themselves to trees try to butcher themselves in order to appease God and to get His favor. When at the cross, He bled, He was beaten, He suffered, He took my shame, He took my rejection, He satisfied the anger and requirement of sin. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, here's what Hebrew says, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. I don't have to have Lent. 
I don't have to put ashes on my forehead. I don't have to climb up the statues uh, to kiss the toe of a statue for God to be my healer or deliverer. I don't have to beat myself. I don't have to deny myself in order to merit God's favor and forgiveness and eternal life. The bill has been paid by someone else, and the Father is completely satisfied. So we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. I appreciate your morality, but it won't save you. I appreciate the fact you love your wife, you're not an adulterer, but it won't save you. In fact, God saves adulterers and murderers and prostitutes and tax collectors and people who have broken every promise or rule in the book. Why would He do it? Because He paid the price to redeem them. No human could pay it. The Bible says all have sinned. I'm as big a sinner as anybody. I need as much blood of Jesus as anybody. Everybody has sinned. It doesn't matter one sin or 20 sins. Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. What was finished when He made that statement? Well, reconciliation was finished. Now, we've heard that word reconciliation in connection with relationship between races in many nations. Terrible things have happened between people of different race, and hostility and mistreatment has caused alienation and separation. So efforts have been made to heal differences, to close the gap caused by past actions, to restore friendship, to be reconciled. And Jesus came to reconcile man to God. We were alienated, separated. We needed a reconciler. So we get to be reconciled, not through any good work on our part, but through what He did. So there's a terrible gap between God and humanity caused by sin and evil. So we've destroyed our relationship with God. Sin has a devastating effect on our relationship with God. It separates us from God, and if we want to have any hope of going to heaven to be with God, then somebody has to deal with sin and restore our relationship with God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, right? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It doesn't say without committing adultery, there's no forgiveness of sin. It doesn't say by keeping so many rules, you're saved. It says if you are going to be saved, something innocent has to die and blood has to be shed. So he gives me an option. He says, you can offer a sinless sacrifice, which is my son, or you can die and spend eternity away from me paying for your sin. You choose. It's just a choice. I don't know about you, but I know what choice I'm going to make. That's a gift. I don't have to pay for it, didn't earn it, but I'm going to receive it. So God sent His Son into the world so that we could be reconciled to the Father. He died on the cross to get rid of the power of sin to condemn us. His death bridged the deep gulf between God and us. And the Bible says to those who are Christians who love Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation to those in Christ. So when you feel condemnation or guilt, usually you have to go to church to get that. God says there is none for a believer because although I'm worthy of guilt, I'm worthy of punishment or judgment, it's been done in Christ. And God's wondering, what are you trying to do, Rick? 
I've already paid for it. I've already suffered. I've already died. I've already shed my blood. And if you accept me as your Savior, I reckon or account, it's an accounting term, I account to you my righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So he's my innocent substitute. So it's kind of cool. And so what does the enemy want to do? Cover up what happened at the cross so he can get you back under guilt, shame, and condemnation. But he can't do that to me because my sin's been paid for. doesn't make me want to go out and sin more. It just means that if I do, it's still paid for. Paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. That was what the good news was all about. And Christians still don't get it. They don't. He said, salvation is finished. He cried out. The restoration of friendship between God and humanity has now been finished. The task for which God's Son came to earth has been completed. He has won forgiveness for all people. Nothing else needs to be done. Salvation is now complete. It is finished. I don't have to strap on a suicide vest and go blow myself up so I can go to paradise. Right? No. He's already destroyed himself so I could have forgiveness and be accepted by the Father in heaven. There's nobody, there's no religion on the face of the earth that can do that. There's no God, there's no Buddha, there's nothing that can compete with a God who becomes flesh and takes your judgment so you can have His acceptance. Put them, on the, put them up on the stage. Let's let them see. What God being worshiped out there would die for you? Only one. And that's the one we celebrate tonight, our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why we call tonight Good Friday. It certainly was not a good day for Jesus. He endured pain, soul-wrenching agony, hanging by the nails in His hands for hours, death on a rough wooden cross for our sake. We call today Good Friday because the cross is proof of the powerful love God has for every single one of us. No one, not even God, would do something like that unless He really loved us. We see a picture of love that was prepared to endure the ultimate sacrifice in order to rescue me. We've known love to do some powerful and strange things. A teenager named Arthur Hinckley lifted a farm tractor with his bare hands. He wasn't in sports, he wasn't a weightlifter, but his best friend, 18-year-old Lloyd, was pinned under a tractor. And Arthur heard Lloyd screaming for help and was able somehow to lift that tractor enough for Lloyd to wiggle out. His love for his best friend enabled him to do what he normally would find impossible. There's the story of a priest who offered his life in place of a teenage boy in Nazi Germany. His offer was accepted, and the priest died to save the boy's life. And then there's the young soldier who had been condemned to death by Oliver Cromwell, who is both a politician in Great Britain and a military leader. This young man was to be shot at the ringing of the curfew bell. His fiancée, however, climbed the bell tower, tied herself to the clapper of the giant bell so it wouldn't ring. And when the bell did not ring, soldiers went to investigate and found the girl battered and bleeding from being bashed against the side of the bell. Cromwell was so impressed by her love for the young man, he was pardoned. Because of love, people do extraordinary things for others. They just give us a glimpse, a small one, at the kind of love God has for us. 
God the Father sent His only begotten Son into pretty dangerous territory. He allowed His Son to be treated cruelly. He was spit on. He was slapped. He was cursed. He was mocked. Jesus reminded the disciples that He could have called twelve legions of angels to destroy His adversaries, but He did not. So God could have rescued Him. He could have cursed those who treated Him maliciously and brutally, but He allowed His Son to carry the sin of all humanity and become repulsive even to His own Father. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We sense something of the terror of bearing the weight of the sin of all humanity. God did this for us, and He did it because of His love for us. Listen again to St. Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God has shown us how much He loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for a good person. He died for bad people. And best I can tell, that's everybody in this room tonight. We were God's enemies, but He has made us His friends through the death of His Son. That's how much God loves us. Jesus died for us even though we don't deserve it, and His death has now made us friends of God. Jesus' announcement, it is finished, was clear and simple. Jesus had completed the task He had come to do. He had become the ransom for our sin. He had gone to the pawn shop of hell and paid the price to redeem us back to Himself. You say, it just sounds too good to be true. It does sound too good to be true, but it is true. And He paid that price, which was so shocking to most people that He would do that without saying, now I'll die for you, I'll forgive you, I'll take you to heaven if you keep 15 out of 20 rules, if you can jump through these hoops, and if you don't, and if you don't, and if you don't, and if you don't, then maybe I'll accept you. And so Christians today, by the multiple millions, are still trying to earn God's approval and God's favor. What God approved was His Son. And when I become a Christian and step into Christ, guess what? Daddy sees Him in me. I'm coming into the Father through Jesus. I've got connections. I've got an all-entrance pass to the concert. I am with the star of the show. And therefore, I get to walk in, and nobody can bother me, and Satan can't touch me, and he can't condemn me because my sins have already been paid for. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6 says. So when Jesus died and paid for the debt of sin legally, when I accept Jesus, the Father counts me to have been in Christ. So when Jesus died, I died. When He was punished, I was punished. When blood was shed, my blood was shed. When Jesus was raised from the dead, I was raised for the dead because I'm in Christ. So everything He did was imputed to me, death, burial, and resurrection, and now forgiveness and righteousness that I never earned in my life. So at the cross, there was a tremendous exchange. Let me give it to you briefly as I close. First, Jesus was punished for our iniquity that we might be forgiven. Second, Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. 
by his stripes we are healed. Third, Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. See, his righteousness, I hadn't earned it yet. It was given to me. How nice. He took my sin. When old covenant men in the Hebrew culture would make a covenant together, they would exchange coats. David and his friend Jonathan did that. And that coat was symbolic of who I am, my nature. I'm saying whoever I am, I give to you. Whoever you are, I take to me. So Jesus took my my robe of sinfulness, my rags of unrighteousness on himself, who knew no sin, he became sin, that I might have his coat of righteousness And now I have been made righteous, and that's the only way he'll ever see me till the day I see him. Wow, so cool. Then third, Jesus tasted death for us that we might share his life. Fourth, Jesus was made a curse on the cross that we might receive the blessing. All the blessings of Abraham. Go back to Genesis 12. Look at all the blessings of Abraham. And the writer of Galatians, St. Paul says, if we are in Christ, we are Abraham's seed and heirs to all the promises made. I'm a child of Abraham through faith in Jesus, and every curse in my family, whether it's cancer, divorce, whatever it may be, suicide, mental illness, He has redeemed me from that curse. It's broken. And now in Jesus, I am blessed. I am favored. Number six, Jesus endured our poverty that we might share His wealth or His abundance. He who was rich became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. And number seven, Jesus endured our shame that we might share his glory. That's why he was stripped naked. Whatever shame you're carrying, Jesus took it on the cross so that you could have his glory, not shame. And number eight, Jesus endured our rejection that we might have his acceptance. I am now accepted in the Beloved through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Everybody that looked at that cross 2,000 years ago looked at that cross and said, on Good Friday, it's a failure. The Romans who worship power looked at the beaten and bloodied body of the Son of God and says, this is not power. This is absolute weakness. Why, he can't even save himself. To the Greeks who worship beauty, it was failure. There was nothing beautiful about the cross, nor the way Jesus was treated as a criminal and beaten beyond recognition. To the Jew, the cross was a symbol of a curse. Scripture said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. How could God the Father curse His own Son and put Him on a cross? The disciples fled in terror and were hiding behind closed doors in an upper room. To them, the cross was a shameful failure. Ah, but the cross was the greatest spiritual success in the history of the world. Death, hell, and the grave were defeated. Your sins were paid for. Sickness and disease were conquered. The Gentiles were grafted into the Abrahamic covenant and received all the promises of God in Christ. When Jesus Christ shouted, it is finished, Satan was forever defeated. Thank God for the cross, and it gave us victory over the world, over the flesh, and over the devil. Put your hands together and celebrate the champion of the cross, 
our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.